Welcome to Music History Monday for December 6th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Altamont. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the disastrous concert held on December 6, 1969, 52 years ago today, at the Altamont Speedway here in Alameda County in the San Francisco Bay Area. Over 300,000 people attended, four of whom died that day, one of them at the hands of the so-called security personnel. The word Altamont has become synonymous with rock concert disasters. However, before we get to the tragic events of December 6, 1969, we would recognize an event that occurred on this day in 1975, 46 years ago today, in this edition of This Day in Music Stupid. On Saturday, December 6th, 1975, the Reverend Charles Boykin, Associate Pastor and Youth Director of the Lakewood Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, gave a talk to the young people of his church on, quote, evil effects of rock music on youth, unquote. Not content to just talk the talk, the good reverend had his charges gather up their rock and roll records, including those by Elton John, The Rolling Stones, Cream, The Doors, and Neil Diamond, and burned them. Boykin claimed to have been inspired by a nameless professor at Hiles Anderson College, an unaccredited private independent Baptist college in unincorporated Crown Point in Lake County, Indiana, who claimed that, quote, out of 1,000 girls who became pregnant out of wedlock, 984 committed fornication while rock music was being played, unquote. That statistic fascinated Mike Royko, 1932 to 1997, the famed Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist for the Chicago Daily News. Royko wrote in his column, quote, That amazing statistic intrigued me. I considered getting a portable radio and blasting rock music at the first 1,000 women I met. But first, I decided to get further details from Reverend Boykin. I phoned him, and we had the following interview. Where did that statistic come from, the one about all those girls getting pregnant while listening to rock music? I want to be accurate, so let me correct you. They didn't all listen to it during the sex act. I was speaking of listening to it as a prelude to fornication as well as during. I see. But rock music was involved in all but 14 pregnancies out of 1,000 cases? That's right. It was sort of like a Gallup poll of unwed mothers. And who provided the statistics? This man, he's from West Virginia, or maybe Virginia. 
He stopped in our church one day and gave us the statistics. He's a professional poll taker? Oh no, he's an evangelist. He travels all the time. And you believe his statistics? Oh yes, there's a definite relationship between illicit sex and any music with a syncopated beat that covers rock and country music and even some gospel music. But the syncopated beat has been around a lot longer than rock music, hasn't it? That's right! And the debauchery began when Benny Goodman introduced swing music. Benny Goodman caused debauchery? That's right! His music had a syncopated beat. Then why weren't lots of girls getting pregnant because of his music? They were, but it was covered up. When Goodman had a concert in Los Angeles in 1938, there was open sex. In 1938? That's right! The syncopated beat did it. How about Glenn Miller and Lawrence Welk? When they used the syncopated beat? Yes! Remarkable. I wouldn't have thought Lawrence Welk capable of such rascality. It makes me wonder what really goes on in all those nursing homes." Unquote. Thank you, Mike Royko. We need no longer wonder how QAnon caught on. Unbelievable. Altamont. If you live here in Alameda County, in the San Francisco Bay Area, the word Altamont typically conjures up a traffic bottleneck called the Altamont Pass, a low 1,009-foot mountain pass between the Livermore Valley and the San Joaquin Valley. Traversed by Interstate 580, the pass is also occupied by a series of wind farms and many hundreds, perhaps even thousands, of wind turbines. But between 1966 and 2008, the area immediately southeast of the pass was occupied by the Altamont Raceway Park, also known as the Altamont Speedway, Altamont Raceway, Altamont Motorsports Park, Altamont Raceway Park and Arena, which was California's largest oval-shaped motorsports racetrack north of Los Angeles. If you live anywhere other than the Bay Area, the word Altamont conjures up one thing and one thing only. The notorious free concert held at the Altamont Speedway on December 6th, 1969, a concert that saw, among other fatal events, the stabbing death of 18-year-old Meredith Hunter by security personnel during a performance by the Rolling Stones. That hired security personnel were none other than the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club. Oh, yes indeed, mistakes were made. The full-day concert, which occurred just four months after the famed Love-In at Woodstock, was intended to be Woodstock West. Certainly the featured bands were top-notch. In order of appearance, they were San Francisco's own Carlos Santana, and Jefferson Airplane, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and the Rolling Stones. 
San Francisco's The Grateful Dead were supposed to perform in between Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young and the Rolling Stones, but the increasing violence across the span of the day convinced them, wisely as it turned out, to cancel their set, get back on their bus, and go home. Four people died that day. One by stabbing, lots more on this in a moment, two in a hit-and-run car accident, and one when a concert-goer zonked out of his gourd on LSD, drowned in an irrigation canal. Scores more people were injured, some of them quite severely. For example, Denise Kaufman Jukes, the lead singer of the San Francisco rock band The Ace of Clubs and six months pregnant, was hit in the head by a full bottle or can of beer thrown from the crowd. No one knows who threw the thing, though columnist Ralph J. Gleason observed that, quote, Hell's Angels played catch with full beer cans all afternoon, unquote. Jukes suffered a fractured skull that required emergency surgery at San Francisco's Mount Zion Hospital, during which a piece of bone the size of a quarter was removed from above one of her eyes. The concert was doomed from the get-go. It was originally scheduled to take place in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, but that didn't work out, so it was moved to Sears Point Raceway in Sonoma County, some 35 miles north of San Francisco. But that didn't work out because Sears Point management demanded a $100,000 upfront deposit. Finally, on Thursday, December 4th, just two days before the concert was to take place, the venue was changed yet again to the Altamont Raceway, roughly 50 miles east of San Francisco. According to Paul Kantner, 1941 to 2016, of the Jefferson Airplane, Altamont Raceway was chosen out of what he called desperation. Quote, there was no way to control it, no supervision or order, unquote. Recalled Jefferson Airplane vocalist Grace Slick, born 1939, quote, the vibes were bad. Something was very peculiar, real peculiar. It was that kind of hazy, abrasive, and unsure day. I had expected the loving vibes of Woodstock, but that wasn't coming at me. This was a whole different thing." Unquote. Peculiar <laughs> is being kind. There weren't close to enough toilets to accommodate 300,000 people, and there were no medical tents. But the biggest problem was the stage. Located at the bottom of a long slope, it was just 39 inches high, far too low to keep concertgoers off it. Thus, at the very last moment, the Rolling Stones management decided it needed security, lots of security, to keep concertgoers off the stage. They decided to go with local talent and hired members of the Hells Angels, led by Ralph Sonny Barger, the Oakland chapter head, to provide security by surrounding the stage with their leather-clad bodies and their Harleys. The fee paid to the Angels was $500 worth of beer sitting in a flatbed truck filled with ice. I did the math. $500 in 1969 
is $3,768 today. Today, cheap beer runs around 60 cents a can. Pabst Blue Ribbon sells for 58 cents a can at Costco. What it comes down to is that $500 worth of beer in 1969 represented over 6,000 cans or bottles of beer. That's a lot of beer. You want fries with that? Disc jockey Stefan Ponick, who helped organize the event, observed, quote, These guys, the angels, had been hired and paid with $500 of beer on a truck with ice to essentially bring in the stones and keep people off the stage. That was the understanding. That was the deal. It became rather apparent that the stones didn't know what kind of people they were dealing with." Unquote. Well, thank you, Stefan Ponick, for the understatement of the decade. As the day progressed, the drunker and more violent the angels became. Armed with sawed-off pool cues and motorcycle chains, they began beating concertgoers that got too close to the stage. Needless to say, the crowd became antagonistic as well, and members of the audience attacked each other, the angels, and even the performers. Mick Jagger himself was punched in the face by a fan as he emerged from his helicopter. In an attempt to sort out a problem during their set, Marty Balin of the Jefferson Airplane jumped off the stage, only to be knocked unconscious by a Hell's Angel. According to the music critic and writer Bob Ruggiero, quote, During Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young's set, Stephen Stills was repeatedly stabbed in the leg by a stoned-out Hell's Angel with a sharpened bicycle spoke, unquote. By the time the final act, the Rolling Stones, began their set, somewhere between 4,000 and 5,000 concertgoers were packed against the edge of the stage, a stage guarded by the drunken, flailing Hell's Angels. The Stones' set was being filmed for a documentary about the band's 1969 American tour, of which Altamont was the final show. That documentary, entitled Gimme Shelter, was released in 1970, and it graphically depicts what happened when the Stones took the stage. Mick Jagger was visibly shaken by what he saw, and he attempted to calm the crowd in front of the stage down, telling them, quote, just be cool down in front there. Don't push around, unquote. During their third song, Sympathy for the Devil, a fight broke out at the foot of the stage. The band stopped, the angels restored order, and Jagger again appealed for calm. It was during the Stones' seventh song, Under My Thumb, that an 18-year-old named Meredith Hunter, blitzed on methamphetamine, climbed on top of a speaker next to the stage to get a view of the band. Two Hells Angels pounced on him, one of them grabbing his head and punching him. Chased back into the crowd, four angels descended on him and beat him. Hunter was from Berkeley, California. He had driven to the concert with his girlfriend, Patty Bredehoft. Known as Murdoch to his friends, Hunter was a flashy dresser, 
He wore a lime green suit and hat to the concert. Before leaving home, presumably after being warned by his sister Dixie about the racism still prevalent in eastern Alameda County, Hunter slipped a long-barrel 22 caliber pistol into his suit coat pocket. After having been beaten and kicked by a succession of Hell's Angels, a now enraged Meredith Hunter once again approached the stage. According to the Grateful Dead manager, Rock Scully, quote, I saw what he was looking at, that he was crazy, he was on drugs, and that he had murderous intent. There was no doubt in my mind that he intended to do terrible harm to Mick or somebody in the Rolling Stones or somebody on that stage, unquote. The film footage from Gimme Shelter linked to this post shows us what happened next. An opening in the crowd appears with Meredith Hunter's girlfriend, Patty Bredehoft, at the center. Hunter enters the opening from the left and raises the gun, which is seen silhouetted against Bredehoft's crocheted vest. Hell's Angel Alan Passaro runs at Hunter from the right and stabs him twice in the back, pushing him off screen in the process. All told, Hunter was stabbed five times, and when he fell to the ground, he was kicked by several Hell's Angels. The stomping was unnecessary. Hunter was declared dead as soon as the doctor arrived at 6.20 p.m. Pissarro was arrested and charged with murder, though he was acquitted after the jury viewed the linked footage of Hunter drawing his gun. For our information, Passaro was found drowned in a lake 16 years later in 1985. Police declared his death suspicious. The Stones did not know that someone had been killed, but they witnessed the commotion and stopped playing. Jagger was prepared to quit the stage, but was convinced to continue, and that the band did, playing eight more songs. Their final song was, ironically, Street fighting man. Aftermath. For right or for wrong, Altamont came to be seen as, quote, a symbol for the death of the Woodstock nation, unquote, the end of the hippie era of 1960s American youth culture. On January 21st, 1970, six weeks after Altamont, Rolling Stone magazine published a 14-page, 11-author article called The Rolling Stones Disaster at Altamont, Let It Bleed, in which it stated that, quote, Altamont was the product of diabolical egotism, hype, ineptitude, money manipulation, and, at base, a fundamental lack of concern for humanity, unquote. Writing in Esquire magazine in August 1970, the music critic and writer Ralph J. Gleason stated that, quote, The day the Rolling Stones played there, the name Altamont became etched in the minds of millions of people who love pop music and to hate it as well. If the name Woodstock has come to denote the flowering of one phase of the youth culture, Altamont has come to mean the end of it." Unquote. In closing, 
not enough beer? In 2008, a retired FBI agent revealed that members of the Hells Angels intended to murder Mick Jagger as payback for their negative portrayal in the film Gimme Shelter. Ironic, yes. Kill someone deemed responsible for a negative portrayal, thus confirming that negative portrayal. Jagger was staying in a beach house on Long Island, New York, when a boatload of angels with mayhem on their minds approached. One of those angels should have checked the weather report. A storm blew in, the boat was swamped, and that was that. Quote, Jagger's spokesperson has refused to comment on the matter, unquote. It might come as a surprise that the Rolling Stones never hired the Hells Angels to supply security again. A brief nine-minute documentary on Altamont by a Dominican University student named Gabriella Tisano is linked to this post. While her conclusions are, to my mind, saccharine and off-target, her documentary is well worth watching for the visual and historical context it provides. There are longer professionally produced documentaries out there, but this is the best short one I could dig up. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.